0: New Year's, we just celebrated the time just a few days ago when we can gather around the midnight flashing oil and and, and we can speculate on what our year is going to hold and and make promises that we have no intention of keeping, but we can look forward to that, you know, lose those dreaded pounds, right, Uh, do something better. Uh, drive faster or drive slower or, or stop shopping at you know, your favorite store or, or something. You make your list, you check it twice and you say, okay, I'll give it a try. You know, pull up yourself by your socks and smile each day and go, I'm happy today. What motivates you as you enter into the new year? What, what stirs your juices? What gets you going? For some of us, we see the year approaching and we recognize the instability of our economic situation. And I've talked with some as they realize that, that the, mo- the month outlasts their pension. What do we do? What motivates us as we realize or as we, as we recognize relational strain to those whom we love? And we seek for healing or we seek for restoration. and We want God to handle it. We recognize the need for health or wellness, wholeness, as we face the challenges of, of a decaying body. All of these are great, measurable goals that we can look to the Lord and we can see that His addressing them will, will be realized. And as we approach other people, as we one another, one another, encourage one another and strengthen one another, and this is, this is for free, by the way, I didn't plan on saying this, but as we, as we uh, pray for one another and, and admonish one another, which means bringing wisdom into each other's lives. We're the family. And yeah, at times family rubs, but family is always loyal. And in that sense of commitment and care for one another, we're willing to to look for the way the Lord's hand is working in someone else's life and cheer them on. Say, God's doing a great thing in your life, and how can I stand with you to see it happen more? I want to introduce to you this morning a potential spiritual motivation that can also help us realize our goals for the coming year. It may not result in greater wealth or greater health, but I believe it will help us form a foundation of perspective that will fashion within us hope. The thought that I want us to, to just recognize is this, that When we focus on the goal line, when we know where we're going, we can run with confidence and avoid being distracted. Paul talks about it, the apostle, when he says in Philippians, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. And later in 2 Timothy, he says, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. In your folder, I've listed a few questions that I want us to reflect on this morning. And as we're doing that, you may want to jot down some ideas of how these engage your own life. First question is this, what then is the goal line? How am I to run this race called life? What distractions can I assume I'll encounter and how do I deal with them? What is the goal line? Christ, when instructing his disciples about his kingdom promise, his kingdom coming, provides for us the goal line. In Matthew chapter 25, he, he begins with a couple of parables, and these parables remind us that his kingdom is coming, but as it is coming, we are also to live in the reality of his kingdom. One of the parables he tells us is that of, of talents, that all of us have been entrusted with gifts and abilities from God, and we are to use them in such a way that, that others understand God's love for them, God's care for them, as God has cared us cared for us, as God has forgiven us, He will forgive others. And He's allowed us the opportunity to engage in people's lives so that they too might experience God. We are to live in the expectation of His kingdom coming, as the first parable illustrates, and we are to live in such a way that those around us might anticipate Christ's coming as well. What then is the goal? What then is the end point? Matthew chapter 25, beginning in verse 31, we read, When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. What's the goal line? Jesus is coming again. You know, I grew up in a church where where every fall we would have evangelistic crusades. You know, we'd bring in an evangelist and, and we'd pack out the place for a week and he would... He would share with us our need for Christ, and those were spectacular days. And then later on in the wintertime, when nobody was doing anything, we needed to do something, so they would bring in a scaricist, at least that's kind of what I thought it was, and this person would come in, and they would have charts, and they would have just diagrams, and they would have arrows all over the place, and they would show us that Christ was coming again and how everything interacted and lived together and worked together and boop, there we were. And usually by about Tuesday, I would be so scared I would go home and I would be repenting of everything, you know, like forgive me for hitting my brother, forgive me for taking his Lego, forgive me just making sure. Because the last thing I wanted to do was to wake up and find everybody gone. You know. Rapture by raffle or something, and I'm just, boom. What happened? I'm not suggesting for a moment that we return to those scary days, but I am suggesting that we begin to focus on the end goal. Jesus is coming again. I'm not thinking that we should all go out and sell everything because this is the year, you know, 2011, when you look at the news and you read the newspaper and you look around you and everything is, is becoming a schmoz and you realize, yes, Scripture is being fulfilled. I'm not suggesting we go and sell everything and start humming down on Columbia Beach or anything like that. But what I am suggesting is what the passage illustrates for us is, and that is we need to live responsibly. We need to live in anticipation that as Christ said, Christ will do. He will come again. Going on in the passage, it says, Before him will be gathered all of the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. There will be a time when we will be held accountable for our lives how we live, how we engage the truths of Scripture, how we enact God's instruction, we will be held accountable. And there will be a separation of those whom are identified as God followers and those who are identified as God rejectors. Those who fall under the influence of Christ's kingdom and those who are aliens to His influence. So how am I to run this race called life? Jesus illustrates in this passage that in separating the sheep and the goats, he identifies those who have relationship. In John chapter 10, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. My sheep hear my voice and they know me and they follow me. Sheep is an illustration, a word used to recognize that there is a relationship between those who are called sheep and the shepherd. We who believe in Jesus Christ, we who have allowed Jesus into our hearts and lives, are called sheep. We have to attune our ears to hear the good shepherd. And as the shepherd speaks, we listen, we hear, we do. How do you become a furry sheep? The Apostle Paul tells us in Romans chapter 10, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. To join the family of God, we need to confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord. Believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead and we're saved. I'm very conscious of the fact that often in a gathering as large as this, there may be those who in seeking a relationship with God have not yet chosen that step. My invitation for you this morning is to consider it. Is Jesus who he claims to be? We celebrate Christmas. We celebrate the birth of a baby. But can you also celebrate the coming of a king who has come that our lives might be changed, our sins forgiven, hope initiated, purpose provided. And all you have to do is ask. Come, Lord Jesus, into my heart. I'm also conscious of the fact that at times there are people who come to church for years and have never yet made that personal decision to follow Jesus Christ. As we enter into this new year, please, don't put it off any longer. Ask Jesus into your heart. How then is a person to run this race called life? The first step is this. Trusting Jesus in order to have a relationship with him. A relationship that calls you to to depend upon him. That he's trustworthy. Then it goes on. And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? The king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. When we have a relationship with Jesus Christ, we can't help but love those around us. Those who are hungry, we feed. Those who are thirsty, we give something to drink. Those who are strangers, we invite them in. Remember what James says. True religion is what? To keep ourselves from being defiled by the world and to look after the cares of widows and orphans. When someone needs clothes, we give them clothing. When someone is sick, we look after them. When someone is in prison, we visit them. This is not a metaphorical illustration. Christ does not say this in order for us to go home, reflect around the roast beef and go, hmm, wasn't that good? Yes, I agree. Clothe those who need clothes. Yes. Feed those who need feeding. Yes. Wasn't that good? Jesus is saying, this is what we do. How do we run this race called life? How do we live as a believer? Consider Christ's words as a potential checklist to feed, to care, to visit, to encourage, to one another, one another, without looking for results. Notice in the passage that as Jesus is giving these words, he's not saying, you're clothing those so they can commit themselves to me. He's simply saying, you're clothing those. That's why we have a food pantry. That's why we have a clothes closet. That's why we have a prison ministry. That's why we have care and visitation teams. That's why we have a benevolent fund. So that people can express their faith, their hope, their love for Jesus Christ through participation with those around them. Why? So that it may open doors for discussion. We looked at Romans chapter 10 verse 9 earlier. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead and you will be saved. But how does this all start? Further down in the passage in verse 14. The Apostle writes, How then will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in Him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. And sometimes we use words. Occasionally in a person's life, There is so much clamoring for the needs that they have in their lives that they are unable to hear the words of of counsel or the words of invitation. Sometimes we need to start by caring before they're willing and able to commit to Christ. I believe that it's never too soon to start And we're never too old to quit. Right away, challenges pop into our heads. Distractions. We begin to think about the challenges and we think, but I've got a young family. First, let me raise my family. First, let me get them settled before I can start doing anything. First, let me get financially established. Let me get my ducks in a row. First, let me retire. First, let me travel. Then he said to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed into eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit. And then they will begin to ask and give excuses. When? How? Why? What are the distractions that we face? Too busy to care for others? Too busy for even one small glass of water? Too busy for even stopping along the sidewalk and Flipping a loony into someone's bucket? Too busy for even one phone call? Too busy to have faith in Jesus Christ? Too busy doing our own thing? Too busy establishing ourselves? Too busy raising a family? Too busy getting ahead? Too busy crawling to the top? Too busy to trust? too self-assured to acknowledge our need for a Savior. Oh, Christianity is good for those who need a crutch. But I'm okay, thank you very much. In First Peter chapter 5, We read, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. The enemy wants to come and discourage us. The enemy wants to come and destroy us. The enemy wants to come and distract us. God invites us To place our faith in Him and find Him trustworthy. To replace intentions with faithful actions. Do you ever hear yourself saying, I wish I coulda, woulda, shoulda? Maybe God is prompting in your life, or maybe you've heard His prompting before, and God has said to do something, to give up something, to stop something, to start something. We need to replace our fear with faith. Realizing that God is trustworthy and that if He is prompting our spirit into action, if He is prompting us to change, if He is prompting us to move, if He is prompting us to stay or to persevere, then we can trust Him for that. Because He knows our future. He holds our hand. need to distinguish and replace busyness with productivity. You see, the enemy wants to also cloud our mind with guilt. You're not doing enough. Rather than saying, you're doing well. What is the goal line? Jesus is coming again. How are we to live? Caring for those around us, one anothering, one anothering. Caring for the needs of people, even though in the caring of needs, they may never come to faith. Caring for them as Christ cares for us. The Lord himself says, forgive one another as I have forgiven you. Jesus is coming soon. Are you ready? Do you have a personal relationship with Him that allows you to recognize His place in your life? To realize that your sins have been forgiven? To recognize that you are a new person because of Christ? I remember as a child coming to faith in Jesus as I... Reflected on the stories from Sunday school and as the stories of my mom read to me and realized that I needed to make a choice, even at a young age. And then later on, as a young adult, I recognized the need to make that my own personal choice. So I was baptized as an indication of my personal choice and desire to follow Jesus Christ. And at times, God brings situations into our life where we need to once again affirm, draw the line in the sand that Jesus is trustworthy, and yes, I will trust him. And in the coming year, chances are that you will experience events where God will call you to trust him and to cling to the promise, greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. Do you have a personal relationship with God? Jesus is coming soon. Are you active? Are you running the race? Are you involved in others' lives simply as an expression of the love that Christ has for us loving others? Jesus is coming soon. Have you identified the distractions? 1 Corinthians chapter 10. We're told that temptations are coming such as is common to man. But God has created a way of escape. Two things from that passage, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Two things from that passage which are in- instructional. First, the deceiver, the destroyer, does not create new temptations they're common to man it's the same game plan he wants to destroy us but because of god's unfailing love for us because of god's intimate knowledge of who we are because of god's overwhelming desire to see us succeed and and thrive in life he has created for us a way of escape that is personalized So that we might experience his hand in our life. He loves us. He desires nothing more than to have an intimate relationship with us. Have we identified the distractions and instead find ourselves focused on Jesus Christ?